back to another episode of Pocket Wall Talks. This is your host, Brad. Across the way is uh, producer Devin. How you doing? Today we're tackling a different subject. We're going to tie it back into what our primary like area is, which is law. But it'll be a little broader and, and uh, reaching out to uh, a little different topic area that is... Uh, Give you a little insight into our communities here in Indianapolis. Yeah, so we're going to address the issue of homelessness. And in doing so, we're going to tie it into how it interacts with the criminal justice system, too, because there's a lot of statistics that look at homelessness, how it leads to interactions with the homeless population and how they can get uh, disproportionately involved in the criminal justice system. It, statistics that are pretty pretty uh, eye-opening and how, how big of a gap there is between uh, somebody that is even homeless versus somebody that's sheltered versus somebody that has an actual home of their own. There's broad discrepancies in how frequently they interact with the criminal justice system. To help uh, add a little dynamic to that, bring some real-life experience to that, we've got a special guest with us today. We're going to welcome John Powell. Hello. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you. A pleasure having you today. I appreciate you guys letting me be on. We're happy to have you and uh, looking forward to spending some time with you, talking a little bit about your experience John is uh, somebody that lived in the homeless population for a period of time. He's he's out of that population now, but for a decade, right? Yes, sir. Likes to likes to talk about his experience. So we're going to dive into that a little bit to to start off the uh, episode. So John, tell us a little bit about um, first, kind of where you grew up. Okay, I, I grew up here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, I I used to move around a lot as a kid, but always you know in this city. And it was there a period of time, at least when you were younger, where you were living with family? Yes, sir. Okay. Was that with your parents or extended family? Tell us a little bit about that. Um, well, my, my family was all hardcore drug addicts when I was growing up. So I bounced from my dad to my mom to my grandma. Um, I also spent three years in juvenile. I spent um, three years in residential behavior centers, and I spent like three weeks in a group home. Okay. Oh, wow. And was that all before you became 18? Yes, sir. Okay, okay. And were you ever in any foster care during that time period? Uh, No. Okay. So just bounced between several different families and then actually in an institutional-type setting for a while, too. Yeah, for years. Okay, okay. Once you turn 18, what's what's going on at that point? Uh, So when I turned uh, 18, you know, I was going through the mental illness, like, significantly. Um. So when I turned 20 years old, that's when I first became homeless. Okay. And talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, you're, you're 19 before you're 20. Where were you living? Where were you living at that point before you became homeless? Best of your call. I was crashing on one of my dad's friend's couches. Okay. I know all about that. And then, <laughs> I mean, at some point, is it just a situation where they, either they move or they get tired of having you? Or how does it work that you end up on the street? Um, I just, I could not hold down a job because my mental illness was just very extremely progressive. Was it like anxiety or depression or was it worse, deeper than that? It was voices. Oh, okay. Okay. I used to talk to voices like 24 seven. Okay. Okay. And the, the further that it progressed, I actually used to talk to them out loud and it was pretty alarming to the person beside you that I was crashing on her couch and she's like, she would walk in the room and I'm just like talking to myself. And yeah, I mean, she, she was like, man, either you need to get some mental help or you need to get a job, but you can't just be sitting here all day on my couch. Talking to yourself, (laughs) me, my, myself. Yeah. yeah. And that's uh, sort of where you transition to, to living on the street. Um, so basically, uh, you know, one day my mom picked me up. Uh, she said, you know, you can't stay there no more. You know, she don't want you. That, that lady don't want you there on her couch no more. And my mom, I was like, well, where are we going? <laughs> she goes, I'm dropping you off at the shelter. Okay. And so you moved into kind of, you actually moved into one of the homeless shelters at that point? Uh, yeah. So I was staying at the homeless shelter for the first three years of my homelessness. Okay. Tell us about that process when you, I mean, when you show up at a homeless shelter's door, what what happens? Give us, give us like a okay. Just just run with it. Give us like a good idea of like the transition from going to a shelter and then becoming unhoused, unhe- unsheltered, and kind of the experiences you had going through that and being in that situation. Okay, so when you get at the door, you sit there in line and they buzz you in the door. Uh, you gotta. 
you got to put all your property through like a metal detector. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to walk through a metal detector. You got to get them, give them all your information. Um, dude, I mean, it was completely off the chain up in the homeless shelter. Like every five minutes, hey, you got a cigarette? Hey, you got a lighter? You want to buy some drugs? Hey, you 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 got any drugs for sale? Uh, can can I use your cell phone? Hey, you, you can can you spare any change? Dude, every five minutes, and that stuff's that 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 by itself is enough to drive a sane man crazy, right? Because I I don't smoke, and I told this I've told a lot of guys a million times, bro, I don't smoke, and they keep asking me for cigarettes, bro. <laughs> like, what's going on? They done forgot, <laughs> or don't care. And, and also, it you know there was a lot of stealing, and they so like if a homeless person steals from another homeless person. They the, the homeless shelter will not will not kick that person out because if they kick that person out then then they they they're not able to make that tax write off money off that homeless person so uh, anyways so it, you know there's a lot of drug use like I'd go in the bathroom they're smoking cigarettes in the bathroom uh, you know lots of uh, lots of negativity homeless people are going through a lot some of them lost their kid. In, kids and CPS. Some of them just lost their jobs. Some of them just had a divorce. Some of them are uh, facing time in prison. So a lot of these people are on an emotional roller coaster. So it's like you say one one little thing to them the wrong way. And they snap. Yes, bro. Like they, I, I had this one guy ready to beat the brakes off me <laughs> <laughs> just because like I I don't even think I was even talking to him. Like I was talking to like the guy behind him or something like that. And I was just, and, and I, I knew the guy behind him really well, but this guy was thinking I was talking to him, and I didn't know him at all. So it was just like, you know, he, he just got all really defensive. He's like, "Who the f you talking? Who who the f you talking to?" And I was like, "All right, bro, I'm not even You're talking, talking not to him." Even, yeah. <laughs> like, crazy. Man. How would they be with people that would come in like with warrants and stuff? Would they check it, or like would police be coming in to pick someone up there like often, or was it just all? It does like they're not checking your record. They're not doing anything like that. Uh, they do do criminal background checks, and they they cooperate with the local police. They cooperate with the local sheriff's departments and all that. And and uh, you know it, it, it man, they they had a lot of people there that were on house arrest, fresh out of prison. So there's ex cons from prison that's on that's on house arrest in a in a shelter. Yes, sir. Yeah, they probably. Any place else to stay? Is that, is that even allowed? I'd figure that house arrest. Yeah, wouldn't if you have be a considered. fixed address, if you have a fixed address, they'll they'll let you they'll let you do it. Um, how about how, how many how many people would you say were there when you when you first moved in? Uh, when I when I was there, it was only like like two to three hundred. Okay, but currently it's three to five hundred now. They've renovated it and the owners changed. How's it set up? Is it set up like an army barracks or like a jail? Like, give us an idea how it looks on the inside. Uh, it looks very clean. Uh, there's basically a day room, uh, a cafeteria, uh, you know, uh, but also like there's like offices there. Uh, but then there's an outdoor area where all the lockers are, where people smoke cigarettes and all that. Is that right? not, is that something that's not allowed? Is smoking cigarettes? Is that why people had to hide it? Yeah, yeah, you can't smoke cigarettes inside, but they have an outdoor area where everybody smokes their cigarettes and crack and, and meth and everything else. So if they're putting their stuff through uh, to get scanned and stuff, how are they able to sneak drugs in? Are they not, like, really patting them down and searching them or what? Oh, just looking for weapons. They, is it just weapons? It's They don't pat you down when you walk in. They they just make you walk through the metal detector. Um, and, you know, we, we sneak snacks, lots of chips. I used to sell a lot of chips. Outside food not of, allowed? Yeah, you know, you're not allowed to bring outside food in. But <laughs> if you do if, it anyways, if, if you got the right kind of guy, he could uh, slide you a candy bar for an extra buck or two. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> why Why well, is that? Why Why don't they let you have snacks from the outside? That seems like such a harmless thing. Dude, your, your guess is as good as mine, bro. Probably just controlling the, I don't know, trying to... Monitor the type of food they're intaking, I guess. I don't know. Would they sell? Would there be extra food for sale there? Like, did they think maybe it was cutting into their profits if they were trying to sell, say, candy bars to homeless people? Uh, all the food's there for free to oh, the homeless. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, they're – so, like, let let, 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 let let me give you an example. So I'm in line waiting to talk to one of the employees there, and the homeless guy that's in front of me 
cusses the employee out for nothing. And then I'm next in line, so I have to deal with the employee after that guy. Being mad. And that that employee is talking to me all kinds of sideways just because the guy that was in front of me cussed him out for nothing. So there's a whole lot of... Caught in the crossfire, sort of. Yeah, like, dude, I didn't do nothing. I, I didn't cuss you out. And then it just gets to where they, they talk to some... They talk to a lot of the homeless people like trash, and it's just because of all the BS that they put up with every day. I mean, it wears on everybody. You know, you get tired of getting talked to like that all the time. The workers probably get tired of getting disrespected. You know, in their head, they're probably thinking, I don't have to be here. The homeless people, you know, it's just a lot of pain in general. It it gets hard to be empathetic when it's your every single day. You know what I mean? So you see that a lot, especially, you know, in the legal field. You see that in the prisons. Criminal justice field, for sure. People, every day you're seeing people at their absolute lowest, and you kind of get, like, blind to how hard this is actually affecting them just because you've seen, to them, this is their first experience or second experience ever going through something that's terrible. But to you, this is your hundredth time this week seeing someone go through that. So, you know, keeping that. applies to judges, prosecutors, attorneys, probation officers. Yeah, everybody. So it's really keeping that uh, empathy going and keeping that alive is a real mental skill. And also picking and choosing who gets that empathy. Because, you know, you can be really empathetic and help someone who ultimately doesn't want to help themselves. And you get burned and that makes you feel resentful. And then you're not willing to help the next person who genuinely could do something with themselves if they had that same type of help. You know what I mean? So it's just... You know, the human psyche ultimately is pretty weak, and we let a lot of things from the outside affect us, and in turn, we turn around and allow that to affect other people, Other people, and you're just keeping that negative cycle going of uh, hate and fear and just all-around pain. What I'm curious is, so how did you end up going from being sheltered to end up unsheltered and the experiences you had going through that? I, I do want to ask one more question about the shelter, though. I want to... S- <clears throat> Can you describe sort of how the sleeping arrangements work there? Um, so basically, you have to sit through an hour-long church service every night, seven days a week. Um, and then also, so after the church service, we do showers. Um, and then after the showers... Like group showers? Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it, there's there's like, it's like eight different showers. Uh, but they're, you know, there's like... It's divided. You know, each shower is divided. Like a bathroom stall, basically. Yeah. There's showers in them. Yes, sir. Yeah, okay. Um, so then we, um, and they have updoor locker, upstairs lockers and lower downstairs lockers. Um, so, like, you know, then we take our showers and then it's ready to go to bed. Um, when you say locker, there's, there's like, places to keep your personal property safe. Is that what it is? Yes, sir. Okay. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah. You all get, like, a key or is it, like, a code? Uh, it's a code. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, um, so then basically, um, you know, we, we go to bed in the, it's a bunk beds, you know, so there's like, like four or five different rooms and there's like 50 to 75 bunk beds per each of these rooms. It's separated between men, women, families, is it separated that way or is it just all mixed together? Uh, this is the men's shelter. That I'm okay. About. So oh, just men. men. Okay. Despite that, was there still, like, occurrences of sexual assaults or anything like that? Yeah. Was it prevalent? Uh, it, it, it's not real common, but, I mean, it's like once a week, once every two weeks, you know. Uh, there's a lot of sexual stuff that goes on willingly. Really? <laughs> Where you have, like, one gay guy and another gay guy or, you know, one. I mean, and, it, and, and there's money involved, too, to where, you know, they're doing it for money. They're doing it for drug money. They're doing it for drugs, whatever, and... You know, they wait to be the last ones to take a shower. Right. You know, or you're, you know, you're trying to wash up here. <laughs> oh. oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for real. But, um, and they're not allowed to do that. So they have to, you know, they have to be very careful. You they know. get caught doing that. Is it instant yeah. kicked out? Or is there like in-house no, they, sanctions? They no, don't, they don't really kick people out over there. Just sanctions, really? <laughs> Yeah. What ways can they, you know, sanction or punish someone, you know, because if you deprive them of food or sleep, it's kind of inhumane. So is it just like a reprimand? I mean, dude, it has to be something real serious for them to kick you out, bro. Really? Uh, is fighting? I know fighting, they do kick you out, but it's only for a night or two or whatever. But um, that'd, that, be, that'd be such a hard thing because, 
you know, you're dealing with a population that's struggling, right? Right. And, and dealing with stuff emotionally and mentally. And if you're just throwing them out on the street, you're 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 not helping the situation. At I just all, assume so. they'd have more of a no nonsense type of mentality. Yeah. Honestly, I, I imagine it'd be difficult to figure out what rules to enforce and which ones not. <laughs> it sounds like it was pretty forgiving, though. <laughs> yeah, at, at that shelter, yes, they are. Uh, you know, they're very lenient about everything that they they do. Uh, also, there's a lot of favoritism. You know, they do a lot of favoritism. The people who's been homeless the most. They uh they get the most um, favoritism. Uh, I mean because they've had time to build up those re- they've relationships. They've who they are. And, and, yeah. 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 That makes sense. But uh, I mean not necessarily right, but you can understand yeah. how that would happen. Yeah, human it happens, relationships. It happens inside of jails too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it does the whole time. Yeah. For sure. Like man, hey, why does he get a why does he get a win win and I don't? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, how did that transition from you know being in a shelter to being unsheltered? Did you just get tired of it, or like you know tell us that story, and then on top of that, tell us some uh, situations you had being unsheltered, and you know maybe some scary situations you've been in, and encounters you've had with police, and things that you view is really unfair based and just not right. You know, fairness isn't exactly the right word because life isn't fair, but just isn't being right in the sense of, like, our judicial system or our governing system, what we have in place? Okay, so the last seven years out of the ten years that I was homeless, I used to sleep in tents and under bridges and uh, also in the stairwells and the parking garages. Um, and I did that because I did not want to put up with the BS at the shelter. So you just one day was tired of it and left? Absolutely, and I never, never came back. I would be out there in the heart of winter with a foot of snow outside, and I refused to go in that shelter because it was just too crazy up in there. Was there ever times where, like, the shelter would be too full and they would turn people away? No. No? They actually have a weather contingency law in place for that. If it's below 32 degrees, you they, are legally, they legally have to take you in. Yeah, I would assume they'd run out of beds or something, right? What do they do at that well, point? They got a million mats that they throw on the floor, and they'll give you a blanket, and they say, you know. It's fine space. Fine space. Man, it sounds just like jail. It is like jail. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, depending on what the circumstances is and, you know, what kind of people's in there at the time, yeah, it could be a lot worse than jail. Oh, oh yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. So do they give you a hard time when you try to leave, or are they just— they just send you off. You don't. They don't really care. You have to check in with anybody or anything. You just walk out the door, grab your stuff. Uh, you can walk out the door and leave anytime you want. And just no, no hard times or nothing. Uh, what do you mean? Like they don't, they don't. They'll try to you talk you out of it or, or talk or... you out of leaving or nothing. Well, here they have a thing to where you can stay ten nights a month uh, during the warmer weather. You know, you can stay ten nights a month. Now, if you mess that up and you don't meet the curfew, because it's like a pretty early curfew. Or something like that, then you you lose your your ten nights there, to where you you can't go back for the to the end of the month. Oh wow, really? So yeah. your ten nights has to be continuous, like to, yes. Oh okay. Yes. So, so weird rule. So you've moved out. You're you're living in the street. Is there a particular part of town or a a, a bridge or a parking garage that's sort of your go to? Yeah, area yeah. where you hanging around? Uh, well, Indianapolis, Indiana, Davidson Street. Tent City, shout out to Maurice. Maurice was the mayor of Tent City for two years. Was he like another homeless guy? Well, he, he chose to be homeless. Oh, okay. He, he had a master's degree. Oh, wow. He was, he was a very educated person. He was a genius at networking. He had churches coming by serving us hot meals and, and food and blankets and hygiene and everything three times a day. Wow. That almost sounds better than the homeless shelter. It was way better than the homeless shelter. Where well, you said Davidson Street, what what part of town is that on? I'm just not familiar. So, entering downtown, it's right by the highway, right by Salvation Army. Um, it's actually okay. just blocks away from, uh, or it's not even. It's like a block and a half away from CCA. Yeah, right, close to jail too. What used to be jail too? Used to be. Yeah, yeah correct. Well, I don't know what they're doing with that building now. Yeah, yeah well, hard to imagine. What was um, life like in the tents in the tent city? You know, because when yeah, I was in outreach, like an average day. Yeah, I was out there in outreach, and especially talking to the women that'd be out there, they'd say it'd be kind of fearful, and you'd always, they'd always be worried of someone like taking their stuff or 
you know, being sexually assaulted or anything like that? Was it usually pretty chill or was there, was there ever incidences that were like pretty scary and like what the average day was like? Actually, yeah. Homeless women get raped and beaten and uh, forced to be on drugs. And I, I've seen them get kidnapped and pimped out on the Far East Side. I've heard absolutely horrific stories uh, from female homeless people. You I think mean, females have it worse? Absolutely. Yeah, I could see They have that. it way worse. Um, I actually had, I, I, I'm serious, man. I have had testimonies after testimonies from female homeless people that told me about stories where they were kidnapped, beaten, and raped, forced on drugs, uh, you know, uh, for, for months and years at a time on the Far East Side. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, hey, look, they put bars in the windows. You ever, you ever see a house with bars in the windows? Beware. You know what I'm saying? It's probably a person that was homeless being kidnapped in there and you, you never held know. against their will. You never know. I mean, you know, there's only so many reasons you're gonna be putting bars on your windows. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, and you said there was a mayor. I mean, so there's some sort of kind of structure to it. How do how do they, <laughs> how do they decide where you get to pitch your tent and what, what what area is your area? Well, Maurice, he he called the shots. That was his spot. You know, if if he didn't want you there, trust me, you weren't gonna be there. Did he kind of have like a click or anything that would kind of enforce, you know, some order or if enforce if he, if he didn't like someone, you know, make sure that they're not there? Well, yeah. Yeah, actually it was, you know, and it was just out of respect. Right. You know, if I'm a big guy and Maurice don't want you there, hey, guess what? I'm going to pick you up and you're not going to be there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> How did you first get to meet Maurice? I mean, you, you're out on the street. You find that, I guess you find this tent. How do you, how is it? You get accepted, or he's like, all right, this guy's okay. So I was walking, and uh, somebody had stole my spot from a, from a few bridges away. Uh, somebody just stole my spot. They stole my tent. They stole everything. So I'm sitting there, and I'm walking past the bridge, you know, Tent City Bridge, and I, I look at Maurice, and I'm like, you know, I get to talking to him for five, ten minutes. He goes. He goes. Well, hey, I, I got an extra tent here, man. You you can you can have that tent and you can pop up here. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. You know. And see, Maurice, he used to be an advocate for the homeless people, and in Indianapolis, Indiana, he's done more for the homeless community than any nonprofit, any church, than than than, than anywhere. I, I, he used to set up at the Indianapolis Library for two or three hours a day, three days a week, for years. And if you needed food stamps, you needed a free government phone, you needed a, a mailing address, anything you needed help with, that guy would help you. And I'm going to be honest, man, in my opinion, they murdered Maurice. Oh, he was killed. Yes, he was. Now, see, he used to help all the people that were not in the shelter. Mm-hmm. So it was a financial conflict of interest to the shelter's best interest. Makes sense. Now, ironically, when he died, guess where he was at? The shelter? In a shelter. And he was just visiting. He, bro, this guy's rich, man. Maurice was a rich dude. <laughs> okay. He chose to be homeless. <laughs> he, he chose to be homeless to to have a purpose in his life. Okay. okay. Now, <laughs> so. Well, I mean, to some degree, you could see if you're going to try to. Uh, well, I mean, you've seen like where like a news reporter's embedded themselves inside of a jail for three months or something like that. This is a guy that sort of took it to the next level. He got, yeah. If, if he's going to be his life mission to help these people, then yeah, why not live amongst them? Yeah. And he's interesting. He, dude, I'm telling you, man, he, man, when he passed away, man, it was like ripping apart out of this city, man. Like, in when, the, was, when was that? He, he died like a, I want to say a year or two back. Okay. But man, we you know, we we definitely took a loss on that one and he's greatly remembered well. Uh rest in peace, Maurice. You know, was he like beaten to death? Was he stabbed? Cuz you said that they had metal detectors. How how would they have been able Is that why you say it was set up just because of how strict they are with weapons and He, he was just visiting the shelter for like a meeting or something like that. Mhm. Now Maurice was in extremely good health. Like for real, he was very health conscious, very healthy guy. He didn't do drugs, nothing, didn't drink, nothing. I mean, he was an extremely healthy person. And he was only like 52, 54, something like that. He was not that old. Uh, so he becomes short-winded at the shelter. And I'm going to be honest, there's a lot of corruption going on in that shelter. 
mm-hmm. especially financial corruption. And so I'm just connecting the dots, and in my opinion, they killed him. You know what I'm saying? And I look, I, I don't have, I don't have actual camera footage or anything like that. But I'm calling it how I see it. They killed the dude. Okay. So, um, what what kind of happened with like the organizational structure of that tent city after you know their mayor passes? It seems like it'd kind of be a bit of a chaos. People fighting to be top dog. Was there anything like that, or was it? Did you guys kind of band together in your grief? Uh, actually, he. Tent City was done for long before uh, Maurice passed. Why was that? The uh, state broke it up? Um, so, like, you know, this is crazy. So we we was up at Tent City, and uh, Maurice, so, like, the cops would try to scare us all away. The cops would say, hey, we need to do bridge inspections and, and this and that, so you guys cannot be under this bridge, blah, blah, blah. You guys need to be out in 24 hours, or we're going to throw all your stuff in the trash. The police were telling us this. Mm-hmm. Maurice had a lawyer on speed dial. Within 10 minutes, whoop, whoop, his lawyer would pull up. And so he literally was taking legal action against the city of Indianapolis for us to be there for many, many months. Like, we actually, they actually had a standoff. I'm for real. And it was on the news. It was in the, in the news that he actually... Like, I'm for real, these cops pulled up with shotguns and pickup trucks and all this stuff, and they was going to try to physically remove us from this place. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, he had a whole team of lawyers out there. For real, Maurice had a whole team of lawyers out there. And we had all these, uh, it was like documents or papers, uh, law, you know, certain laws that's uh, relevant to this circumstance Mm -hmm. that Maurice had printed out on these uh, and laminated. He had it printed out on pieces of paper, had the pieces of paper laminated. And he's literally walking around showing it to these police. You know what I'm saying? He's like, yeah, see, look, it says right here. You know, sure they knew what the rights were and (laughs) the rules they had to play with them. (laughs) It it was so awesome, dude, because, like, literally, now, look, half of Tent City left because they didn't want no smoke with the police, bro. But the other half of us, we stood our ground, bro. We're like, we are not moving till you move us up out of here. You know what I'm saying? Like, physically. This is still over there by the Salvation Army area? Yes, sir. Okay. Did they eventually shut it? You said that that was gone before he yeah. passed. Did the city come in and shut that down eventually? Yeah, they ended up shutting it down. And then they, because, uh, like, there was one time we none of us were there. You know, we, we were all out and about during the day. Mm-hmm. It was during uh, a Thanksgiving thing. You know, they had a Thanksgiving event. All of us went to the Thanksgiving event. So there was, like, nobody there. So the police pull up. Uh. The police pull up, and they took all our tents and put it in their pickup trucks I mean, they basically stole all our stuff and trashed it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and then when we got there, they were when we got back, they were putting up these fences. There's they put a bunch of fences out around that whole fence, and that did not keep us out. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> for real. We we stayed there. I, I stayed there after this is long after Tent City. I stayed there for about a year okay. under that bridge. You know, and I thought it was kind of cool that I had a fence. I had my own fence to keep <laughs> to keep all the other homeless people out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. a little bit of more protection more, more <laughs> privacy at least yeah so what uh that's really interesting more uh, we'd love to hear like more of your experiences that you've had with police and things that you feel were really just not right and uh, a clear sign of injustice experiences that you've had or you've heard of or you've seen someone else go through things like that yeah sure well i was uh i was sitting on the corner one day and uh, i was panhandling some guy he had a really really nice outfit mm-hmm. and a really nice car he comes up to me, says, hey, you want to make some money? I say, yeah. He goes, you got an ID? I say, yeah. And then basically he, uh, you know, he, he says, well, let's go. So he takes me in and uh, he wanted me to cash these checks. He had a pretty legitimate uh, excuse why he needed me to cash his check. You know, he was like, hey, I, I'm from a different state. Um, my mom or whoever owns a business here and I've been working for her and uh, I don't have my ID here with me in this state. Is there any way you could cash this check for me? I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. So anyways, come to find out this guy was a part of a whole check check forgery rink that was going from state to state to state trying to prey on homeless people to get them to cash bad checks. So I was sitting in a courtroom facing 10 years in prison, and... 
everybody else was signing these pleas. You know, they're signing all these pleas, this and that. And I'll tell you, if you're in jail, don't never take the first plea. That is a dummy move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, so I'm sitting in this courtroom, and I, I thought, man, what can I do? So I, I called my grandpa. He was a police officer for 20 years. What what uh, what county? Here in Indianapolis. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, John Hargis. Okay. Uh, so I ended up. I ended up calling my grandpa. I said, Grandpa, man, I'm facing this time in prison, man. What can I do? He said, let me call you back in 10 minutes. So he calls me back. He says, okay, there's a double jeopardy law. He said, it's not the double jeopardy law you're thinking of. He said, it's the double jeopardy law that a pimp and a prostitute, if they get arrested at the same time, if the if the prostitute is not convicted, then the, the pimp cannot be convicted neither. And, and that's the same with uh, drug dealers and drug addicts and uh, also uh, gamblers and, uh, you know, the gambling. Like money launderers? The, bo- the bookers. Yeah. Bookies. Book, bookies. bookies. Um, and this and that. So I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. So I'm thinking, well, this is kind of the same circumstance. Did they not get the other guy who had you cash the bad check? No, they, they didn't get that guy. He was still out I there. almost never do. <laughs> I mean, that's why they're. I mean, that's why they're picking on the homeless population, right? Because they know. Yeah, you don't if, know the guy from the, any other guy. Yeah, they send you into the bank. They see the bank call the police or whatever. They're out, and you're the one stuck in the in the bank. You know, getting caught. Yeah. And that that's the. I mean, it sounds like they were sort of preying on that population. They definitely was. So basically, what happened was, the accountant from the bank. She was there. She identified me. I had my real signature. <laughs> also, I was on camera. I mean, I was calling with my pants down. Um, so basically, I played the crazy card. But also, I uh, I did, you know, another thing is, is that I was reading the, the actual plea, and it said, did you knowingly commit this crime? And I asked the judge, I said, what does this mean? And she goes, did you know that you were committing a crime when you did that? And I said, no. Because that guy had a really good excuse on why I should be doing that. You know what I mean? It right. sound legit. Yes, it, it did at first. But I'm not going to lie. I, I did knew it was illegal before it was all said and done. You kind of caught on to it as it was happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but needless to say, man, I, I ended up beating that case. Uh, you know, I, I And, you know, I set a trend in that courtroom for all the other people. There was 30 other people in that jail during that time that was facing the exact same charges that I was facing that were also homeless people that, that this group was preying on. So believe it or not, not only did I beat that case, but she threw out my case and all the other cases that would come after me. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, for real. And we were talking a little bit before we started the the episode, and you mentioned an incident where, um, I guess this would have been back when you were probably in Tent City where another uh, uh, person that lived in there or whatever it, it was present uh brought a knife out on you. Um, yeah. Tell us a little, tell us, tell the listeners a little bit about that story and how the interaction with the police happened with, with that incident. So basically I was sleeping under a tent. Uh, I was sleeping in a tent that was under a bridge and uh, I had got into it with some guy that was like trying to, he was like trying to get a cigarette off from me or whatever, but he was being very rude. So I just, I told him off, you know, well, it was probably an hour or two later I was sleeping in my tent, sleeping good, and and this guy comes by and and he cut down my my tent with a razor blade. So, you know, I get out my tent and I, I you know I was about to get into an altercation. Boom! This guy just punches me in the face, and I was gonna fight him after he punched me in the face, but he pulls out this knife, and he said he was gonna kill me. You know, and honestly, all because you wouldn't give him a cigarette. Or yeah, just because he was yeah. rude and you kind of told him off. Absolutely. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I, man, there's another story I got to tell you here, man. But anyway, <laughs> so so anyways, the, so basically, this guy cuts down my tent and, you know, he's threatening to kill me, punch me in the face. I call the police to have them arrest this dude, mm-hmm. right? Right. The police officer, he looks at me, he goes, well, I'm going to be honest. You homeless people, you guys call, you call us all the time for these homeless disputes and we're not going to take nobody to jail. He said, you guys get into it all the time. We can't come out here and arrest all of you whenever you guys get into some argument or whatever. I said, I didn't get into an argument. 
this guy just randomly come up to me and he cut down my tent and he punched me in the face and he, he pulled out a knife, was threatening to kill me. Right. If I go up to someone and I pull out a knife, you bet your ass I'm going to jail. Exactly. And, and you know, look, looking back at it, the only way that I can make any sense out of that whole night is that I was poor and the other homeless guy was poor. So that that's definitely how the police are looking at it because we don't have money to pay for bail. We don't have money to pay a bond. We don't have money to pay commissary. Not paying taxes. Lawyer, lawyers' fees, anything. We ain't got money to pay for nothing. So they can't make money off of us, so they don't want to take neither one of us to jail. Right. You know, uh, there's this one. Okay. I once had a guy pull a knife out on me over a piece of bread. And I know that sounds crazy, but look, I was panhandling, and this lady, she pulls up in a car. She rolls down her window. She goes, hey, uh, you know, I got some food here for you. And she hands me what look I thought it was a sandwich in a Ziploc baggie, right? Mm-hmm. So she hands that to me. I'm like, thank you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm walking down the street uh, under a bridge. I'm walking past this underpass, and this other homeless person, he walks past me. He goes, hey, man, can I get half that sandwich? I say, okay. So I open up the sandwich. And I get the two pieces of bread out, and it was just two pieces of bread. It wasn't even a sandwich, right? And so I, I'm like, well, I'm sorry, this isn't this isn't a sandwich. It's just two pieces of bread. And he's now he couldn't really see what I was seeing because right. you know, I, I just looked in the bag to see, you know, whatever, real quick. And he's like, well, f you then. He's like, f you then, man. I don't want the sandwich anyway. I said, bro. This is not a sandwich. It's just two pieces of bread. Uh-huh. And I take the piece of bread and I threw them on the ground. I'm like, look, it's just bread. Uh, and he walks up on me. He pulls out a knife. He's like, dude, do you really want a problem with me? And I was like, bro, you're going to stab me over some bread? Right. <laughs> like, what? I mean, they really don't give a fuck. Jesus, man. And, and, actual bread, not money. Great. Yeah, yeah, actual. Yeah. White bread. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. So, I mean, so, uh, when we were talking before, too, you talked a little bit about. Uh, so, during the, I mean, evening, whatever, you're living in Tent City. Uh, during the day, are you panhandling most of the time? Uh, I was a hardcore panhandler for six years. Okay. I used to panhandle on the same corner, same hours a day, every day, 365. Was it lucrative at all? Like, was it ever worth it? Absolutely. It was? <laughs> I used to where, make. Where would you be? What, what, what part of it? Where would you set up at? Right at Maryland and Illinois. Okay. Right by Steak and Shake. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I used to be on that corner 24-7. You walk in there every day? I mean, that's not a terribly long walk. I used to hold that corner down like like an anchor holds down a ship. You know what I'm saying? Right. But uh, what would you say? Are you, work, are you walking from Tent City to there and then back every night? Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And when you say how many hours would you be out there? Ten hours every day. Ten hours every day. Okay. Every day. So you treated it like almost like a job. Like it was a job. If you ever see a, a panhandler panhandling, that's a job. Because trust me, you got people walking by spitting on you, say, "Hey, get a job." You got people. You got a lot of Karens that harass you. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people harassing you. Some of them are homeless. Some of them. Because I had a lot of homeless people that were jealous of me. Because I'd be sitting there getting money. You know what I'm saying? All day on that corner. And they was upset. They they were they were too prideful to hold a sign because they considered it to be asking for money or food or whatever. All right, and looking they, for a handout. They too prideful for that, but then they turn around and want to rob it off of you. Yeah, yeah. Or they be player hating, mm-hmm. you know, talking smack behind my back and all this and that. You know, uh, I used to, and I I didn't just stand on the corner holding that sign. I'd give directions, restaurant recommendations, bar recommendations. Tourist attraction recommendations. I would give compliments, fist bumps, waves, smiles, uh, all that. Dude, I, I would sit there and I'd give people advice on on uh, everything. Anything I could give them advice on, I'd even tell jokes. Trying to find Circle Center Mall, you'd tell them where to make the turn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And, and a lot of these people what? were tourists from other countries, so they literally were lost. What so, I mean, in an average week, what kind of, what kind of money are we talking about that you I was making like anywhere from like fifty to eighty dollars a day, but I also was making more food than you could possibly imagine. You get handed food People a lot. Dropping you off stuff. 
and it wasn't just like any like you know crappy food. Nah, like the lady it, with it was the, bread. the best. I've had people take me up in St. Elmo's and buy me a hundred seventy five dollar meal. You know what I'm saying? Right. Nice. nice. I'm for real, man. I've had them take. I've had them take me to uh, Ruth Chris, buy me a hundred and sixty dollar meal, and, and you know one one for there and one to go. You know what I'm saying? I, look, look, I used to have people that would actually take the long way to work to give me five dollars every day. That's pretty nice. For real, I used to have because there'd be all kinds of other panhandlers out there too. Yeah, I used to have people that would pass up twenty other panhandlers. To give me money. You know what I'm saying? Like, for real, bro. I, makes I, you I, feel good. It makes me feel great. <laughs> you, ever, you ever meet anybody that was like a local celebrity or famous in that Absolutely. Way? You got any good examples or stories about that? There's a woman. She was the star uh, player on The Fever. Okay. Uh, every time she'd see me, she'd show nothing but love, bless me with 10, 20 bucks, whatever. Um, That's nice. Also, dude, there's a guy... Okay, now, this is just a look like, but there's this old man, and he looks just like Clint Eastwood. And I, dude, when I say, I mean, he looks identical. Now, I don't think he's actually Clint Eastwood, but I'm just saying. And every time I would say, hey, Clint Eastwood, the first time or two, he didn't really mind. You know, he's like, oh, yeah. But but now, every time I see him and I say it, he just gives me a look. <laughs> but, but now, there's a lot of other ones, too, but I can't really think of any. A lot of them was just a one-time thing. They were there. They were there for a concert or something like yeah. that, mm-hmm. and, and I would just see them that one time, and that was it. Um, but they're That's cool. Yeah, I mean that. I can't really, man. I know there's more, bro. I've seen a lot of other ones, but I can't really think of it. No, that's cool. That's cool. Um, what would you say is your? Because after this, I want to. Um, Tony Dungy. I, I, Tony Dungy. He he he'd be riding his bike downtown all the time. I see him. Oh really? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Real. Yeah, yeah, I see him all the time. Yeah. Yeah, he's at least he's what you hear. At least he's a very nice man too. Yeah. Um, what would you say? And because I want to transition after this, but what would you say would be like the biggest lesson or takeaway you had from your time period of being homeless? Positivity. What do you mean by that? A wise man once said that. If they take away my freedom, if they take away everything I own, if they take away my family, as long as I don't let them up here in my mind, they have absolutely nothing. And that is, you know, I've had some wicked, messed up stuff happen to me happen to me on the streets. So there's one thing I value above everything, and that's positivity. If I stay positive and I, I think positive thoughts, I don't think negative thoughts, then that's going to make me say positive stuff and not say negative stuff. It took a year and a half for me to get all the negative people out of my life, and it took two and a half years to get positive people in my life. So it, it is a very slow uh, process, but it all starts right there in your mind. You know, so that, I'll tell you right now, as long as you're thinking positive stuff, you're saying positive stuff, and you're a positive person to be around. Oh, I do want to say this, that if, if you have negative people in your life, that's why the positive people are not coming into your life. You have to get the negative people out of your life before positive people will feel safe enough to come into your life. You know, when you got negative people in your life, that pushes those positive people away, and they don't want to associate with you because they see you around a bunch of knuckleheads. Well, amen. I'm glad I asked that question. I feel like I just got a sermon. That was awesome. John, you've talked a lot of it about your um, time out on the streets and um, some of your experiences that uh, you had with, with law enforcement and uh, what it's like to just be out on the street. We're going to do a follow-up episode a little bit later um, where we'll look at some of the statistics tied to, to homelessness and, and the criminal justice system. But I do want to sort of hear the rest of your, or the rest of your story um, we're now what a couple years since you were last homeless. Is that right? Yes, sir. Tell us how you made that transition. How thing worked? How things worked out? Where you 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 got off of that uh, sort of that life in the street? Well, it's a pretty funny story, actually. I uh, basically when the COVID nineteen hit and they had the COVID shutdowns, um, what happened was is that the homeless people were the most susceptible to catch the COVID nineteen. So the government made it a part of the stimulus package 
for us homeless people to be given hotels for free. Nice hotels, by the way. And uh, and then if we got into the hotel, then we were guaranteed free housing for one year. Uh, but I, I ended up finding out later on down the road, if you got the free housing for one year, you were guaranteed Section 8 for life. Oh, wow. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So uh, needless to say, I got my own crib, and I don't pay nothing for it. Okay. All right. So all you're right. Gonna... Nothing at all. Or is it just cheap? Uh, it's fifty dollars a month, but uh, I mean that's basically free. I mean it's with yeah. all utilities, everything. Okay, nice. And so, does it come with Wi-Fi? No, no. Well, at that, at this point, that's like a necessity. <laughs> I remember them saying that they were going to make that like a public necessity a while back. Well, there, yeah, there's a there's a um, there's a move across the whole country to make it treated like a utility, like electricity or yeah. water, and and, and a necessity bringing it to the rural areas with the satellite just so that they're not falling behind educationally. And, and tr- true for the, um, you know, people living in a poor situation too, the, the accessibility to the internet's a huge thing in terms of being able to keep up with modern times and, and trying to find a job and all those kind of things. So, um, well, especially like in high school, um, if we didn't have Wi-Fi, you were screwed. And you know, it's not even how it is now. You know, I graduated five years ago. That makes me feel really old saying that. But if you didn't have Wi-Fi then and you weren't walking to a McDonald's or a Starbucks or uh, a library, you were basically screwed. You're real old. How old are you, John? I'm just 31, sir. Oh, gosh, you're young, too. I don't, We want to go there. I'm, I'm going to leave that alone. He's a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit, what, what's, what, what was it like to make that transition from being on the street to having your own apartment? Uh, it took me a year and a half to become domesticated again uh, because there's homeless people that are domesticated and some that are non-domesticated. I was non-domesticated for many years. so uh, um, what, is it, what does that mean? Uh, non-domesticated, it, it, it has to do with people's hygiene and people's household etiquette and uh, also people's social etiquette. Like, uh, I, I would drop the F-bomb like every other word. I mean, I could be talking to a... I si- still do that. I could be <laughs> I, I could be talking to a pastor of a church just dropping the F-bomb. And, and it, it's not out of disrespect or anything like that. It's just that is the accustomed... That, that's what I was accustomed to communicating like because I was used to talking to nothing but homeless people. and uh, But also the hygiene. You know, I would always blow my nose in my T-shirt. And, you know, uh, there was a lot of times I would, you know... Wipe, wipe my backside with my socks or, you know, we, I'd wear clothes for a week at a time, two weeks at a time, uh, you know, uh, you know, just cutting my hair with a knife. And I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, it's crazy stuff, you know, uh, you know, brushing my teeth out in public and stuff. I mean, just a lot of, a lot of stuff, you know, we're, we're not, he's not, you, it, it's like coming out of prison. There's a transitional period where people that come out of prison, they, they have to be integrated back into society and adapt to the ways of society. So basically, it's the same scenario with homelessness. You said that took you like a year and a half where you sort of completed yeah. that transition? Yes, sir. Um, let's talk a little bit about, well, have you tried to get... Back in a job market, or what do you do? Are you trying to do something to make, make, make some money? What are you doing different, or are, or are you doing anything well, different? You had said something earlier about um, you had a criminal case that was still pending. It wasn't dismissed or something like that, but because of that, it's hard for you to find a job. Um, so basically, um, I was charged with a felony, but I was never convicted of that felony. Mm-hmm. So basically, now every time that I apply for a job, um, that criminal that criminal record pops up and, and it says that I was charged with a, a felony and those, those employers will not hire me. Yeah. They don't look to see if it's dismissed. They don't look to see the details. If it's just on there, you're kind of screwed. Yes, sir. When, when was that dismissed? Um, I, on it, dude, I, I, I'm not the check, the check case. Is that that one? Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. So quite a while ago, probably. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What are you, what are you doing to make it, you know, Food, how, what, what are you doing for money nowadays? Uh, so basically, I do sidewalk chalk advertisement. Okay, that's down, cool. Down, Explain that. Well, downtown Indianapolis, Indiana, there's certain corners that have much more foot traffic than others. 
And there's certain days of the week that there's a lot more foot traffic than other days. Um, and there's certain months of the year that has a lot more foot traffic than other months of the year. So basically, if you need some sidewalk chalk advertisement for your business, for your company, for your uh, podcast, your IG, your YouTube channel, any, any anything that you need advertisement for, I could have 50,000 people walking over your advertisement a day on sidewalk chalk advertisement. Now, that, 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 that advertisement might only be up for four or five days before it rains. But trust me, you're going to get plenty. You're going to get your money's worth plus much more. And the, the more you the more advertisement you buy, the cheaper it is. You know, uh, I do like, you know, I did some some uh, politicians when they were running for the elections and all that. Um, you know, I'm how'd not, you learn to do the art? The art? The, ch- the sidewalk chalk. I mean, if I, mean, I did it, you wouldn't be able to read art. it. That's, <laughs> that's art to me. It's not really art. Uh, I, I do kind of, I mean, there is a little bit to it. You know, you want to use multiple colors. You want to use the brightest colors you can. Grab their attention. Yeah, to make it pop, you know. Is it all just words? Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I can put a slogan, a catchy slogan in there if you want, but that costs extra. <laughs> <laughs> so is that like your main gig? That's your main side hustle? No. Or you got a bunch of them? No, I, I actually do. I still panhandle. Because uh, I technically don't have to be homeless in order to panhandle legally. Sure. Uh, but also, I do resell stuff. I buy stuff. I resell it. Uh, there are some people that I know that have a lots, lots of money and lots of stuff. So I resell stuff for them. Uh, 10, 10% commission or 20%, depending on what it is. Uh, if it's a house, I do 3%. Um, you know, uh, but also, I, I, do, uh, I do the Facebook Reels. Got over 200 Facebook Reels. I got, oh, hey, look, I almost got 2K followers on uh, Facebook. Uh, I do the podcasting. I'm, a, I'm an advocate for the homeless people here in Indianapolis, Indiana. I do a lot of networking. Now, look, check this out. Here's a concept. Basically, you buy a man a cup of coffee, you never know who he might know, what he might know, and what he can do for you in general. You don't know what kind of education that guy's got. You don't know what kind of skills that guy's got. You buy him a cup of coffee, boy, he might just tell you everything there is to know in the whole universe. Right. But if you don't buy the guy a cup of coffee, hey, you'll never know. Right. So networking to me, it's about information and it's about people, you know, who who you know. So, you know, the more you do it, the more information you acquire and the more the more uh, the more contacts that you you acquire, yeah, you so, never know who somebody else knows, and they could change you, your life. You might be uh, Donald Trump's nephew. Hey, go Brandon! I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> go yeah. Brandon! Yeah, let's go. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, so my point is, is that network. See, here's the thing: everybody's about dollar signs, dollar signs, dollar signs. They don't see the money, they don't want to work. They don't see the money, they don't want to do nothing. But sometimes you got to look past the dollar signs. Sometimes it's about the knowledge. The knowledge is power. And in the experience, if you have experience doing something, that's power. You have the uh, the contacts, the people, that's power. If you got the 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 skills that it takes, that, that's power. You know, so, you know, let's go. Well, you mentioned also being an advocate for um – the homeless. What what kind of things are you trying to do, or what what do you have on the horizon in terms of uh, uh, of that avenue? I'm trying to educate people about homelessness, because um, if if I don't teach them about the problems that we face, then they cannot create the solutions. You know, so I'm basically what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to create solutions to a global wide crisis, which is homelessness. You know. Um, you know, so that's, you know, spreading awareness. I mean, everybody's pretty much aware of the problem, but nobody knows what to do about it. It's kind of like uh, what we were talking about earlier. Everybody has an idea of how to fix it, but the people who know best are the people living in it. Facts. Well, that that's, uh, that's an interesting uh, way to look at it in terms of um, how you can have input. Uh, you know, all these different organizations are out there trying to um, address this problem, you know, nice to have some of them go to the source and people that have lived in it and say, Hey, this is what, when I was there, this is what would have really worked. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, there's so many corporations and, and, and organizations and all that, but, but you know, I would say nine times out of 10, they're all about money. Right. They're all about money. And, and 
they're they're hired hands. They they wouldn't be helping out the homeless if they wasn't getting paid. Right. You know. Um, you know. I. I well. Yeah. Uh, that's a tick, man. I. Whew, man. One of the things I want to try to just kind of wrap up a little bit here on John. Uh, we talked a lot about, and you know, trying to tie all this back to law enforcement. Did you have any, during your homeless st- stint, did you have any positive interactions with law enforcement? Yes. Yes, I did. You, tell us one of those stories. Uh, I want to shout out to Officer Smiley because, uh, you know, he's actually take the time to get to know the homeless community, and he actually took the time to talk to us about Hey, uh, if you do this, that's illegal. Hey, if you don't do that, I can't arrest you. Hey, uh, don't get caught looking like that, or we're gonna be uh, looking for you. And you know, uh, and he also took the time to uh, bless us with food. And you know, they actually had an event. It was at the YMCA uh, just a few years back, bro. And and they like the actual the chief of police was there. I actually met the chief of police. You'd be surprised what people I've met and known and interacted with. But anyways. Uh, so my point is, is that uh, the chief of police was there, and they gave us brand new boots. They gave us brand new coats. They gave us a bunch of food. They had some really good food there, um, and uh, yeah, I mean it, it was it was a real blessing. So you know, I, you know, and I'm gonna be honest. See, now we could look at that two ways. That hey, they're doing that to better their image. You know, they're doing that for some politi- their political uh, image. PR type stuff. Yeah, yeah, trying to make themselves look good or whatever. Or you could look at it like, hey. They're trying to help. Who who cares why they're doing it? The fact is they're making a positive impact on the community. You know, so, I mean, you, you could look at that however you want to look at it. You know, I look at police like this. Some of them are good people. Some of them are bad people. Now, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, the, the actual organization that they work for works, you know, is a servant of the government, which the government's very corrupt. So if, if so the police, in my opinion, inherently are, corrupt, they serve a, a corrupt organization. So I cannot respect a man with a badge because he serves a corrupt thing that's just full of corruption. But there's still, you know, you find those diamonds in the rough, those good people that are just trying to do good. And kind of like yeah, how we were talking yeah, about totally. earlier, the system can be so corrupted. And as a, as a singular person, it's so hard to change it, even when you have all these other people that feel the exact same way. It just seems like a task that's so much bigger than yourself. And you spend your whole life trying to do something that ultimately could lead in a dead end. What I'm really curious about, were you have, were you homeless at all when the riots were going on? Absolutely. What was that like? Dude, it was nuts. It was? It was absolutely blow your mind nuts. Tell us about it. I'd love to hear that. Bro, I'd be walking down the street. I I seen a cell phone charger outlet because they have some outdoor outlets that you can charge your phone at downtown. But you got to know the right spots. You know what I mean? Right. Some of them messed up and broken. Yeah. So I go to the right. I go to the, you know, the spot that I knew had some charger outlets. And I'm sitting there charging my phone for not even 10 or 15 minutes. And I was kind of falling asleep because I was sleep deprived. And I, I'm looking up and I heard this voice. You know, these voices, they're like, um, no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace. And it was getting louder and louder and louder. And then uh, I could see these people walking for, walking towards me in the street. You know, it's like a whole big crowd of people walking on the roads, you know, like they had blocking off traffic, traffic and stuff. And uh, I was like, what the freak is going on? And then when they walked past me, I realized it wasn't like 10 or 20 people. No, it was hundreds. It was tens of thousands. Yeah, no, there was a lot of <laughs> like, people. Like, bro, it was, like, bro, it, it was popping. And uh, so I, I started going out there riding with them, you know, like, uh, you know, marching with them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I thought, well, this is a good, I've seen, I just thought of something we got to talk about, bro. Go for it. Bro, I was actually downtown Indianapolis, right by the ent- the main entrance of the Circle Center Mall, and uh, I'm sitting there, and because sometimes I bust raps, you know, for cash on the corners, you know, while I'm panhandling. So I was busting a rap for this dude, and he had me on camera. You know, he had his cell phone out. So uh, we seen this guy going on his bike, and, and everybody starts saying, go, 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 because he was running from the police on his bicycle. Okay? Well, the police were chasing after him on foot, and he's on a bike. You know, woo, he's getting it. You know, woo, ha, <laughs> Well, he was headed now on Washington Street right there by the mall. It's a one way. So he was headed the opposite direction, you know. Well, here comes a cop car 
coming really fast. This car, car was going like 25, 30 miles per hour. Hits the guy that was driving on the bicycle head on. Smokes him. Like literally the police officer crashed into this guy riding a bicycle. And this guy that was on the bicycle, boy, he goes flying like 20 feet in the air, smacks to, into the pavement head first. Bro, we could hear the when he hit the when his head hit the dang pavement, bro. Right. And this guy was out of it. I mean, this guy was out of it, bro. He's out cold. I mean, he probably gonna have brain damage for the rest of his life. Police officer jumps out the car, jumps on top of this dude, sticks his knee in his neck, throws him in handcuffs, drags him to the police car, and throws his ass in the back seat. In my opinion. That police officer should have went to jail for a very long time for that. He could have killed him over something. No, he probably he so he, he, he might have died. That yeah, dude you don't was, even know what happened. That was that dude. His bicycle, the front tire was at a what 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 degrees would that be? Ninety. It, his front tire was at a ninety degree angle where the car hit it, like, and that was a real eye opener for me in my life. Because I realized how real police brutality is at that moment. It's always something like you hear of but you, or you might like know of in your peripherals. But when it happens right in front of you or happens to someone you know, it, 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 it's like a, it's it's a shock experience. to your system. It, it's a total eye-opener to your whole perspective on life. Mm-hmm. Just like those cops that were lying to me straight to my face. Mm-hmm. Just as I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm looking you in the eye, man to man, okay, and you sit here and lie to me, and and then and then you have your friend, you call up the backup or whatever, and then they lie to me to save your lies, to save your ass. That that's what they do. They 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 lie to save each other's butt. You know what I'm saying? To protect right. each other or whatever. And it's just lies on top of lies on top that's of why lies. Why the the body cams and the dash cams have been such a huge thing. Well, what made me think of that, uh, when the riots were going on, I was just downtown enjoying the sights. I had, you know, marched with them and everything, too. And then once the once the sun came down, all hell would break loose. And, I mean, it was just fun being there. You didn't even have to be the one breaking shit. Just watching everybody else, it was fun. And uh, <laughs> Train wreck. <laughs> well, so there's this liquor store. It's a big liquor store. I can't remember the exact name, but it's the downtown. The Spirits? I, I think that or, was or it. Or Reds. I think it was spirits. Spirits, yeah, yeah. But they got ran through. Like the doors were busted. Everybody was running through. Yeah, yeah. And people are coming out with boxes of alcohol and just handing them to people. And someone handed me this big ass box of liquor, and I don't even <laughs> like drinking. I'm just sitting there, and there's this homeless guy sitting by the door with like eight bottles already near him, and he's just drinking himself to sleep. And he's having the time of his fucking life. He doesn't have to go inside and do nothing. He's not breaking any laws. He's just getting handed liquor. We start walking down the street. And all of a sudden, cop cars start pulling up and start blocking off the street, like both ends. And so I'm sitting here thinking, well, shit, I have liquor in my hand. They're going to think I broke into that place, and I didn't. They're not going to listen to me. So there was this homeless guy who was, like, in the alley, and I walk up to him like, here, man, you want this liquor? He was so happy. <laughs> he, he, he was, like, doing backflips and stuff. So that just made me curious, like, how well the homeless population, like, made out during that and got oh. to take your anger out on the city a little bit. Well, you're, you're going to trip when you hear this. So, like... So, like, the, you know, that same, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, that liquor store. Because that same liquor store, like, when it was invaded and they took, like, half of the stuff out, basically the other half of the stuff that was left inside of the the uh, the, the uh, liquor store, they was legally obligated to trash it because of COVID-19 CDC yep. guidelines. They were busting it all open and stuff. People, right. Because so many people have been inside the store or whatever. Well, check this out. Two or three days after all the riots were done or whatever, I'm walking down the street. And I had this guy with me. He was a friend of mine, homeless guy. And uh, I see this huge trash container, one of those massive ones, uh, right there in front of the, the, the liquor store. And I look at my friend. I say, bro, hop in there and see if there's anything in there. He goes, man, it's broad daylight. Now. I say, dude, the whole city's boarded up, bro. Get up in there and see what's in there. So I, I hoist him up. You know, I put his foot on my hand, and I lift him up a little bit. And he gets in there. He goes, bro, you're not going to believe this. It's filled with liquor, bro. Unopened uh, bottles. Uh, no, they were unopened yeah, bottles. Yeah, unopened, yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, I sit there. I say, bro, you're lying. I thought he was lying. Uh, he goes, bro, you want to get your fat butt up here and see? I'm like, nah, man. I said, okay, well, throw me some liquor down. If there's some liquor in there, throw me some liquor down. Man, he starts tossing out bottle after bottle after bottle. Some of it's some high end stuff too. Like, it, yeah, like you're you're having eighty hundred dollar bottles in your hand just for free. <laughs> hey, we uh we had like two or three book bags, and that was all we had with us. So we loaded those up, and we filled our hands full, and we walked out. And uh, this guy, you know, the guy that worked there, he's like, "Hey, you guys can't be doing this and this and that." And we didn't even pay no attention yeah. to him. Like, man, dude, you're throwing it away. You're like, throwing it away, bro. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, hey, John, I want to tell you, we really, really appreciate having you on the show and yeah, taking the time to visit fun. with us today. We really enjoyed it. Uh, we're going to do some follow-up stuff to this to, to tie it in again a little bit more to the, the legal side of things and, and a little bit of what uh, is going on there. So uh, can't thank you enough for visiting with us today. Yeah, yeah we definitely I appreciate, appreciate you. It. I appreciate you guys letting me on, bro. Very good. Well, we thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of Pocket Law Talks.